All right, it is so great to hear everybody um, enjoying each other's company tonight. If it is your very first time to attend um, one of our women's ministry events, will you just wave is it your, if it's your first time? I thought, yeah, I thought I saw some brand new faces. Um, I know we have someone who just who joined us at our uh, conference this summer. So technically, okay, te third visit. So we're, yeah, so happy to have you back. Um, and then we have some familiar faces, but um, I just am really thankful uh, to see you all here tonight. Thankful that you've been able um, to join us and to set aside this time uh, just to come together as um, women in the body of Christ to encourage one another, to get to know one another, and, um, you know, to, to learn um, about our wonderful God and our, our, um, our Father who's so gracious and so good to us. Um, I do just, I want to take a minute just real quickly as we begin, and um, I want to thank you. So many of you have been praying um, for our ministry over the past year, um, just personally and collectively. We've been in a state of transition and we've experienced tremendous unspeakable loss. And um, I don't want to just start without acknowledging that. Um, I want to acknowledge you and thank you for your prayers um, for Versi's family over the past year and for our ministry. Um, it's been difficult to think about even being to this point. And we've been thinking about this for a long time. Um, but we're here. We are here. This is where we are. And um, it's, it's not an accident. It's not certainly what we would have planned or desired. But God has been faithful. He has been faithful to us personally and collectively. He has been gracious um, to Versi's family and to our ministry. And so um, I just want to start by saying that we truly um, just desire to honor the Lord and his work, and we desire to honor Versi's legacy and, um, and to continue to fulfill the mandate that we believe that God has given us as women to encourage one another and to continue pointing one another to Christ as she did for so many years uh, for so many of us. So... This year, um, our plan is to start from right where we are <laughs> and really to kind of go back to the basics at this point. Um, we want to look at the one area that we all in the room truly have in common. So no matter your age, no matter your, um, your family structure, no matter the season that you're in in life, no matter your, um, your life story, your relationship status, the one calling that we truly all share is that we are what? We are all women. We all do have that one thing for sure in common tonight. And although there isn't a specific book um, that we're going to use this year, it'll be a little bit different. Um, I didn't write a Bible study this year. Sorry, that will just be one of the many, 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 many things to follow where you go, oh, it's not Rosie, it's not. Um, but however we do, um, I want to recommend a couple books. We have a lovely model here tonight who's going to provide a, a visual for you. Um, these are two books that I'd like to recommend. If you want to delve further into these topics of divine design, I see some thumbs up of some women who've gone through these studies. They are a workbook um, type format. And so it's called, they're called True Woman 101 and True Woman 201. And um, they're by Nancy uh, DeMoss Wogglemuth. And they both um, take you through different aspects of being called as a woman of God and what that looks like, very practical, very specific, and in that workbook type setting. So if you would like to, um, to purchase this, we do have some available in our book nook, and we'll be ordering more as well. Thank you. 
<laughs> but those are the books I'd like to suggest to accompany the study that we'll be doing um, throughout the course of the year. We also have other books um, and resources that I'll, I'll reference and refer you to over the course of each month. And you, I'd love to encourage you to take notes if you'd like to. Uh, we have journals in the back for purchase as well. Um, but we're going to focus tonight on the big picture, which is our divine design and our mission as women. And then over the next um, course of the semester, we'll have two more meetings. So October 2nd and November 6th where we'll focus on walking in wisdom and holiness and growing in grace and how we can triumph over temptation. And then next semester, Lord willing, our plan is to look at the topics of submission and principles from Proverbs 31 and Titus 2. So kind of, like I said, going back to the basics, but really um, laying that foundation for our women's ministry. And we also hope to hold our annual conference on May 31st. So if you want to jot that date down, we will have more information coming soon on that. I do want to start um, just with this as our foundation. We believe that the Bible is sufficient for life and for godliness. We believe that scripture is clear in all of its big ideas and is authoritative in all that it claims and necessary in order to know God's will and God's ways. And we desire that everything we do and teach in this ministry aligns with Scripture and with God's truth. And I know that sounds like kind of basic, but really even on a topic that we're going to cover tonight that seems as if it should be so simple really, we find that these basic principles that should guide our heart and our thinking and our mindset as we walk as Christian women in this world really do directly contrast the way of the world and the way that, we, that the world views women in the society that we live in, right? So this topic has been on my mind, and as I've been preparing for this lesson um, in a completely unrelated context, I came across a quote from a monologue in a popular new movie that came out recently about women. And I haven't seen the movie, but these lines struck me because they pretty accurately describe the mindset that our culture subscribes to and that we many times also may fall into thinking in our own lives and in our own desires. And so the monologue begins, you may have seen it or heard it already on social media somewhere, but it begins with, it is literally impossible to be a woman. It says this, it is literally impossible to be a woman. You are so beautiful and so smart, and it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Like we have to always be extraordinary, but somehow we're always doing it wrong. You have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say that you want to be healthy, but also you have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the time. You have to be a career woman, but also always be looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane, but if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be part of a sisterhood. But always stand out and always be grateful, but never forget the system is rigged. So find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory, and nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that you are not only, are, not only are you doing everything wrong, but everything is your fault. I'm just so tired of watching myself and every single other woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us. 
And if all of that is also true for a doll just representing women, then I don't even know. So although this quote represents our society's standard of womanhood, we don't live in a vacuum. We live and dwell and work and function in this world. And I have to admit, several of the lines in that statement resonate with me. Because when we compare ourselves to the standards set by our culture and to others, we may feel as if our calling to be women is literally impossible. So trying to determine what our role should be as women and how to fulfill our calling can feel overwhelming and confusing sometimes when these cultural expectations are our standard. Goodness, in these times, there's not only confusion as to what our calling as women should look like, there's confusion as to what a woman actually even is. A few months ago, someone shared a link to a video documentary um, with me by Matt Walsh called What is a Woman? And talk about controversy in society. In this film, Walsh travels the country asking basic questions to people, to doctors and professors and political influencers. And it's really alarming how many people struggle to answer what used to seem like an incredibly basic question. What is a woman? And they're unable to really give an answer. In the public school system, I've seen kids younger and younger struggle to understand what their gender even is and how to navigate all of the mixed messages and confusion. And does gender even matter? So we've titled our series for the year, Walking Worthy of Our Calling as Women of the Word. And this, of course, is a direct reference to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. So I'd love for you to turn to Ephesians if you have your Bible. We're going to kind of sandwich tonight's lesson inside of Ephesians. We're not really dwelling in Ephesians, but we're going to start there. We're going to kind of end there. Um, and I think that it, it kind of lays a good groundwork for us. So walking worthy of our calling as women of the word is a direct reference to Ephesians 4, 1, where Paul, after recounting the beautiful and bountiful spiritual blessings found in Christ in chapter 1, and then providing doctrinal affirmations and practical exhortations in chapters 1 through 3, he moves into chapter 4 of Ephesians and teaches how Christians are to live out the reconciliation and unity that God has accomplished in Christ. So he says believers are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So let's read Ephesians 4, 1 together. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Through the book of Ephesians, we understand that as believers, as followers of Christ and women of the word, the sinful patterns that once characterized our lives must give way to holiness and thought and word and deed. Now, ladies, praise God. Walking worthy of the calling of Christ is not something that we even can do on our own merit or in our own accord or through our own efforts. That would actually literally be impossible, wouldn't it? Jesus has equipped his followers for this transformation by giving us spiritual gifts, the armor of God and the body of Christ to come around along and aside us and... Um, we continue to see that in the book of Ephesians. You see, um, going ahead and teaching through the book, rest of the book, you would see that um, that's where God outlines that's the spiritual gifts and the armor of God and the body of Christ. So, with an understanding of this tremendous grace from our loving Father, let's begin with this premise in mind as we move forward. God's ways are good. Can we agree to that? 
God's ways are good, they're beautiful, and they work. And God's design is for our good. And those who ignore or don't know or reject God's design, whether in pop culture or within the church, are setting themselves up for so much pain and brokenness. There are two truths that I'd like us to consider first and foremost about our calling. Number one, we were created on purpose. And number two, we were created for a purpose. If you were born as a woman biologically, then God has indeed called you to womanhood. God created both male and female. He distinguished two genders from the very beginning of creation. So let's look there. I have a feeling you already knew we were going to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. This is where we have to start. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, why? What is our purpose? Why were we created? For this answer, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to look at verse 6 and 7. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7 says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. For what purpose did God say he created sons and daughters? For his glory. We are not women so that we can pretty ourselves up and put ourselves on display like a Barbie. Our main purpose, first and, first and foremost, is to put God on display so that everyone who looks at us sees the beauty of his image. It's a profound honor and responsibility to bear the image of God. John Piper said, true womanhood is a distinctive calling of God to display the honor, I'm sorry, to display the glory of his son in ways that would not be displayed if there were no womanhood. I love the insight that Kevin DeYoung gives in the book, Men and Women in the Church, and we have that in the book nook as well. He says, God didn't have to make two different kinds of human beings. He didn't have to make us so that men and women on average come in different shapes and sizes and grow hair in different places and often think and feel in different ways. God could have propagated the human race in some other way besides differentiated pair of male and female. He could have made Adam sufficient without an Eve or he could have made Eve without Adam, but God decided to make not one man or one woman or a group of men, or a group of women, he made a man and a woman. The one feature of human existence that shapes life as much or more than any other, our biological sex, was God's choice. And when you think about it, who knows how life should function better than the creator himself, the designer of life himself, God is the one who designed us, he made us, he knows how we function, and he, we need to look at his plan to find out how we're supposed to work. Because things work best when they function according to their design, right? Take the chair, per se, that you're sitting on tonight. It's designed to be a chair, right? So when you use it as a chair, it works great. 
If you tried to use it as a fork, it wouldn't work so well, right? If you tried to play it as a piano, wouldn't really sound too great. It was designed to be a chair. And when we function according to God's plan, God's purpose and God's design in relation to our womenhood, and when men function according to God's plan and purpose and design in relation to their manhood, God is glorified. Things function. They work. They're blessed. And others are blessed as well. Now, Scripture also affirms that men and women were both created in the image or likeness of God. And as such, that means that men and women have equal worth, equal value, and equal dignity as persons before God. The Scripture teaches that type of equality, that we have equal value, equal worth, and equal um, equal value before God. For years, women have felt the need to fight for equal rights in our society, haven't they? However, the equality of men and women is affirmed in the creation account in the very first chapter of the Bible. So we looked at uh, Genesis 1:27 earlier. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them equally in his image. It wasn't God made male in his image, but the female is something inferior. No, male and female, he created them both in his image. So that suggests to us that men and women are equally important to God, equally valuable to God, and you'll never find scripture belittling women. You'll never find scripture demeaning women, and you won't find the scripture belittling or demeaning men either. You find the scripture giving value and worth and significance to men and to women created in the image of God equal in his sight. John MacArthur writes, far from ever demeaning or belittling women, scripture often seems to go out of the way to pay homage to them, to ennoble their roles in society and family, to acknowledge the importance of their influence, and to exalt the virtues of women who were particularly godly examples. You see that equality in the way Jesus treated women in the culture where he lived, which did not respect women and considered women many times as nothing more than a piece of property. And in some cases in those cultures, women were not allowed to be taught or were not even considered as an equal citizen or an equal um, member of society. And yet in the context of these cultural norms and standards, Jesus exalted the status of women. Jesus showed respect and kindness to women. You see him treating women in a way that reflects his belief that they are created in the image of God. And out of a cultural background that minimized the dignity of women and even depersonalized them, Jesus himself boldly affirmed their worth and gladly benefited from their vital ministry. He spoke freely to women, even in public, which was unheard of in his time. In Luke chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, I'm going to have a, a few different examples um, from the New Testament. You're welcome to flip there or jot them down. But in Luke chapter 7, 12 and 13, we read, As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. We know this behavior of genuinely caring for and about women was odd for his day. In John 4, 27 and 28, even his male disciples were caught off guard by this. John 4, 27, 28 says, just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 
Jesus also frequently ministered to the needs of hurting women, such as Peter's mother-in-law. In Mark chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, it says, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve him. In Luke 13, 10 through 13, we read about a woman who was bent over for 18 years. It says, he, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. And I love how in these examples, I don't know if you caught it, because I know it kind of read through them quickly, but in these examples, the women who were loved and noticed and cared for and healed by Jesus immediately did what? They recognized him as the Christ, they served him immediately, and they glorified him. A couple of other examples are the bleeding woman in Matthew 9, 20 and 22, and the Syrophoenician woman who brought her daughter in Mark chapter 7, verse 24 through 30. Jesus not only ministered to women, he allowed women to minister to him. Women anointed Jesus. In Matthew 26 and Luke 7, some women contributed to his ministry financially in Luke 8, 2, and 3. Others offered hospitality in John 12, 1, and 2. Several women are mentioned by name in the Gospels, indicating their important place in Jesus' ministry. Many women were among Jesus' band of disciples, and most significantly, women were the first to witness the resurrection in Matthew 28. Underlying Jesus' ministry was the radical assumption that women have enormous value and purpose in the kingdom of God. The clearest example is his mother, Mary, who is called highly favored in Luke 128. Jesus used women as illustrations in his teaching mentioning the Queen of the South in Matthew, mentioning women at the second coming and the women searching for their lost coin in Luke 1. He held up the persistent widow as an example of prayerfulness in Luke 18, 1 through 5, and the poor widow's offering as an example of generosity in Luke 21, 1 through 4. All women, all statuses, all social contexts, rich, poor, young, old, all, all different seasons of their life and circumstances. Jesus addressed women tenderly as daughters of Abraham. His teaching on divorce treated women as more than merely property in Matthew 5.32 and 19.9. His instruction about lust protected women from being treated as nothing more than objects of sexual desire in Matthew 28. And in a time where female learning was considered sus, <laughs> which means suspicious, right, Bren? Yeah. In a time where female learning was considered sus, Jesus made a point to teach women on numerous occasions. Jesus honored women and valued them. He respected them. He gladly benefited from them and included them in his ministry in meaningful ways. And not because that was the tradition of the day or the cultural context. He came to save men and women. We read in the New Testament that men and women have been equally baptized into the body of Christ. 
That is, those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus Christ have been equally made a part of the body of Christ. And they share equally in the privileges of salvation, the privileges of redemption. Men and women have equal access to God. For example, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28, the Apostle Paul says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He's speaking to men and women. If you are in Christ, you've been baptized into his body. And then he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, as we're going to see, Paul doesn't mean by that verse that there are no differences between men and women. But he does say that we have equal share in the privileges and the blessings of redemption, equal access to God through Jesus Christ. And at the same time, Scripture also affirms that there are God-created differences between men and women, right? (laughs) Equality does not mean sameness. Now, no one disputes the obvious physiological differences between men and women, but I think it's important that we realize that those external differences are also merely a reflection of a deeper, more profound, fundamental differences that God created between men and women. If you have known a boy longer than five minutes, I don't have to tarry here on this point, right? I actually attended an educational workshop this summer, and I'm not kidding. The presenter spent half a day explaining to a crowd of educators that boys and girls are different. She elaborated greatly on brain structure and brain matter and brain formation and gray matter and white matter and hormones and the ability to multitask and the ability not to multitask, which just makes me laugh. And and you really would think it was a revolutionary notion. But y'all, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created man Kind in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. And there is something different about male and female. They alike are created in the image of God. They are alike are created to bear and reflect the image of God. But there are differences. And y'all, as frustrating as some of those differences feel sometimes, thank God for those differences. If we were exactly alike, one of us wouldn't be necessary. And we need each other's differences. Our differences are intended to complement each other, to strengthen each other. Those differences were intended to balance each other and to help each other. And this is a silly illustration, but think of a knife and a fork. They're both eating utensils. But they're different. They're intended to complement each other. Trying to eat with two knives or trying to eat a steak with two forks, it just, it doesn't work as well, right? You need the knife and the fork. You need the things that are different about them. The things, there are things that are the same, but you need the differences. And in the differences between men and women, God intended that we should not be independent from each other in the body of Christ. God intended that we should not be competitors with one another, but that we should be interdependent with one another, that we should complete each other as we fulfill our designed functions. So the man and the woman were created to have complementary purposes, not identical, but complementary. We get a hint of this, a glimpse into this in Genesis chapter 3. So in Genesis chapter 3, what's Genesis chapter 3 famous for? What's it known? It's the what? It's the fall, right? Genesis chapter 3 verses 16 through 19 is where we see the different consequences that God imposed on the man and on the woman after they sinned. And their consequences were not identical, were they? 
in the different consequences, you get a glimpse of how God created men and women differently. To the woman, God said, here's the consequence of your sin. I will multiply your pain and childbearing. How many mothers here would say that's true? I've experienced that consequence. It is. The consequence that was dispensed to the woman was to give her in a distinct, unique realm as the bearer and nurturer of life. Now, that doesn't mean that every woman will have physical children, but it does mean that only women can have children. That's something that a woman can do that a man can't do. So perhaps this is also a reality that depicts something deeper, that God designed the woman to have her primary realm of life as a bearer and nurturer of life, a life giver, giving birth to the next generation, both physically and spiritually. That's the woman's primary field of calling and endeavor, which means that's where she experienced the consequences for her sin. To the man, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. So where was the man affected as a consequence of his sin? Yeah, in the garden, in the workplace, as a provider for his family. Now, that doesn't mean that men aren't nurturing, and it doesn't mean that women never work out of the home. It does speak to the primary spheres of responsibility for the man and the woman being different by design. And we come to the conclusion of all of it in verse 31 of Genesis 1. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, what? It was very good. And that included male and female. It included the fact that it was good that they were created in his image that they were alike in many respects, but it also included their differences. Those differences are very good. Those differences are a gift from God. There's something to be received, to be cherished, and to be protected rather than denied or rejected. You know, though, like many of the good gifts our Father provides for us, we can choose to accept them or reject them. We can choose to say, I don't want to be a woman. I'd like to be more like a man. I envy, I covet the things that God has given distinctly to men, such as spiritual authority in the church and in the home. We can fight it, we can resist it, but that will be a pathway to misery. It will be a pathway to what Adam and Eve experienced in their marriage and in their family, which is brokenness and hostility and conflict and ultimately death. Or we can choose to embrace, to receive, to accept the gift of womanhood with its differences from manhood. And you will find that will be a pathway to great blessing and a great means of fulfilling the purpose for which God has created you. DeYoung wrote, What is at stake in God making us male and female? Nothing less than the gospel. That's all. God created men and women, two different sexes, so that he might paint a living picture of the differentiated and complementary union of Christ and the church. Any move to abolish all distinctions between men and women, whether intentionally or not, is a move to tear down the building blocks of redemption itself. So in closing, our theme for the year, walking worthy of our calling as women of the word, should truly be our heart's desire because none of us are worthy on our own. None of us are ever going to be perfect, perfect women. But we must be women who are consistently looking more like Christ. The longer we live, God should be more and more glorified 
through our life. That's our calling, to be conformed to the image of Christ. To be conformed to the image of Christ is why we're still here on earth through all of the seasons that we each experience. And our mission to use our divine design as women, each with unique gifts and circumstances, to point those around us to the glory of our gracious Heavenly Father, who, if you go back to Ephesians, finishing out the Ephesians sandwich we started, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Our desire, our mission as women, each with unique gifts and circumstances to point those around us to the glory of our gracious Heavenly Father who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Ladies, he will equip us. He will equip us to live out our mission and our calling. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, God, you are, you are a great creator. God, we submit to your calling on our lives as women. God, we submit to your design. God, you are sovereign over every detail of our life, and we praise you that you have designed us in a way and then equipped us to live out the mission that you have given to us. Father, we thank you for the gift of redemption. We thank you for the gift of sanctification. Father, we thank you that we can trust in you and then that you provide every spiritual blessing that we need to live out the calling that you've placed on our lives. Father, I pray now as we um, continue and leave this place tonight that you would just draw us closer to you, draw us closer to one another, and just um, continue to, to lead and guide our church and our pastors and our women um, in this body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, at this time, um, we are going to take just a few minutes to share a few of our ministries um, that we want you to know about tonight because coming up in October, we are hoping that everyone um, can spend the month kind of thinking and praying about where God may want to have you serve um, in our ministry and hopefully you can get plugged in and connected. And so in October, um, we have a few different opportunities. Tara, if you'll come up. Um, first of all, I want to tell you on your table, there's a sign-in sheet. It says, um, or a little sign-up sheet, it says mentoring ministry. And in October, we have a unique opportunity. We have two of our, um, our mentors in our ministry, Miss Anita Bird and Miss Lindley Hannibus, are going to be leading a mentoring um, um, teaching session for it's three weeks right four weeks i'm sorry am i stealing what you were going to talk about okay four weeks um for you to learn um, how to be a biblical mentor so as you know part of our ministry i think one, one of the most vital pieces to our ministry we love getting together we love eating together learning together but the one-on-one -on -one relationships that happen um in between these monthly meetings are truly where um, our strength as sisters in Christ lie. And so they are going to be leading that every Sunday morning, the first four Sunday mornings in October at nine o'clock. And so if you know that you're interested in that, if you want to go ahead and sign up, you can. You don't have to sign up to come. We want you to come whether you sign up or not, but that just may give them an idea of kind of how many to start planning for for that. And then if you were in attendance at our conference this summer, you saw us highlight several different parts of our ministry that kind of happens behind the scenes. And so Tara's going to um, fill us in on some of those details. So I think what's interesting about our mentoring ministry that's different from maybe other um, ministries within different churches is that our women's ministry was founded on mentoring. So the Titus II mandate where the older women 
teach the younger women is the foundation of why we have what we have here. Um, and so there's many of us in the room that have spiritual mothers and spiritual mentors because of that ministry. And I think that that is what's so um, unique about this setting even here tonight. You have um, women from the little girls that are here, you know, 10 and and younger all the way up to, like uh, Dana said, with our Season Saints ministry. So it's our women's ministry is not just for one specific group or one specific season in life. And it's about creating and developing those relationships that can only be had through that mentoring ministry. So if you are interested in being a mentor and would like to um, be listed on our website as a potential mentor, then you would need to go through the four-week class. Um, so if you just want to have it uh, so that way you have the knowledge in your back pocket for those work ministries like uh, Janie mentioned, then of course, please come. But in order to be listed as a official mentor on our website to be matched and paired with a younger woman, um, then you need to go through all four classes. And we only offer this once a year, so this is your chance <laughs> to get in on that. Um, you know, one of our other ministries that I think is really important and somewhat specific to women um, is hospitality. And so we have a lot of hosp hospitality needs here at our church, whether it's the food that you had um, at our Bible studies to um, showers and um, for the... Um, food, what is that called? Meal trains. Um, so the meal trains, there's all sorts of opportunities where we can serve others. Um, and I think what's interesting, and, and I'll often say this, I, I don't cook. It's not my thing. And I don't really feel called to do that. <laughs> and plus you don't want to eat it anyways. Um, but that doesn't mean that I can't be hospitable. And it doesn't mean that I can't volunteer and be a part of that ministry. Whether it's providing a gift card, um, you know, or, or providing a meal that people would want to eat, um, or it's just being a helping hand, serving in the kitchens, being a part of that service ministry. So um, Christy Webb and Ashton Jarvis are our um, committee chairs for hospitality. They are going to ask you um, for those to start signing up to help um, with our food ministry for Bible study. Um, so they'll have a sign up list Oh, at this little black table here. So if you'd like to get a team of people together to help, uh, what is there, six? Um, yep, five. five. So there's more. five more. Um, if you'd like to get a team of folks together, I would say anywhere from five or six. Um, that is a good number to get to help for those months. Please sign up to do that. Um, that's a great ministry. And then we'll have more opportunities next month to talk about those meal trains and what other um, places where we need help and people to step up and say, yeah, I'd love to be the shower coordinator or, um, you know, somebody who can kind of be that contact for um, funerals and, you know, just different things that we have going on where there's hospitality needs. One of the other ministries that we highlighted back in May is our prayer ministry. And so that's a new one. Um, it's becoming a bit more official. Um, but, <laughs> you know, we all pray. We all get together with our mentors, with our um, families and pray. But to be more specific in our prayer and to be more intentional as women um, praying for each other. Now, this is not a gossip train. Um, this is truly a prayer train. And what it what it means to be prayerful. So um, Jaree Johnson is going to start putting that committee together. So if that's something that you're really passionate about, um, praying for the needs of others. And I think what's interesting, I read um, a quote where it talks about prayer and it says, uh, let's see, this helps our hearts to grasp a fuller and more robust view of our loving mighty God resulting in perhaps the most glorious benefit of the prayer group where we focus on his attributes and not our own. And so by praying for others, we're focusing on the attributes of God and how those attributes can help those that are in need of prayer. So calling on that healer, calling on the teacher, calling on those attributes of God to minister and serve those around us. So if you're interested in being a part of the prayer ministry, um, we'll touch base with Jury next month and then we can sign up for that. There's also the shut-ins and widows 
um, we have a lot of, of members within our church that are not able to be with us, um, that they do watch online or that they are looking for people who can come and serve them in their homes. If you're interested in being a part of that um, widow and shut-in ministry, I believe it's uh, Joyce Adams and Laura Elrod. Um, they are within our Season Saint ministry, can kind of help you get plugged in. It could be as simple as a card or a phone call, um, as in anything to taking someone to a doctor's appointment or providing a meal when necessary. So lots of opportunities to serve others there. And that might be something, if you have a busy schedule, that would be more flexible um, for you to be able to, to serve in that. And then the last part, which I think um, is vital to our church and it is an area where we are in desperate need um, is in our counseling ministry the thing with our counseling ministry though is that it takes a commitment this is not just a hey I'll serve once a month or hey I just think that's kind of fun I'd like to pitch in on that this is a big commitment um, because you're you're not just mentoring and encouraging, you're actually teaching and counseling in a biblical way. Um, so we would like to train biblical counselors. Pastor Aaron has a, um, a process for that um, that you would go through. And so if you are interested in, in becoming a counselor um, for our church, for our women's ministry, please let Dana know. Um, that is something that she can help you get more information about. Again, you're looking at a commitment for the training it could be up to six months to a year of training and then when you're paired with someone to counsel that could be up to a 12 week commitment with that person um, so this is something where you really have to have the time and dedication to do that any other questions about our women's ministry areas where you'd want to serve so be thinking about those things praying about that this month and next month um, October 2nd is when we meet again 530 here yep then we will have some sign-up sheets for you to, to kind of, um, you know, commit to learning more. Yep, so food ministry, go ahead and do that now at the table here, and then mentoring ministry, you can sign up there at your table. Yep, five team leaders. Thank you so much for being here tonight. You'll take some time, visit with your friends, and have a great evening.